This is John Gescheidmeyer of Wisconsin Real Estate Today, your real estate expert. This podcast is designed to equipping people with the teaching and tools they need to succeed in real estate. I hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more real estate content. So what do you do if you have gone through the process of selecting a real estate agent? Let's just say that your contract is signed, the sign is in the front yard, you've now seen the listing live in MLS and all the third-party sites, and there are some things that have gone on during the process that you're not happy with and you're not pleased with. Well, what do you, what do, you do next? You know, you're staring at this contract of, let's say, six months, and you are just not all that pleased with what's happening. So if your real estate agent isn't very good, what do you do next? Well, let's start with a couple things. For one, I'm, I'm super big in communication. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes, even with my own personal clients, you know, sometimes you, you, you may not talk to them as much, uh, depending on what's happening. If you have, a let's say, a lot for sale, those are a little bit slower. You know, it's not like uh, a home showing where you know when people are coming, somebody can come and walk a lot at any time. Well, let's talk about some of the some of the indicators, if you will, that maybe you hired a realtor who is either bad at what they do, or they just maybe not, uh, they maybe didn't represent themselves the way they should have. So the first thing is probably pricing. If the home price is something that is just not um, bringing you the results that you want. Let's be honest. In our state and in our region and in our country, for the most part in the last probably seven, eight years, we've been in a seller's market. Now that changes from time to time. Sometimes in Wisconsin in the fall, you will be in a buyer's market where there's more inventory out there than uh, there are buyers. And so the buyer can choose. So we see that. Again, things are very... Um, very seasonal in our world. But if the pricing hasn't produced showings for one, then it's probably off. This is difficult if you're a seller because as a seller, you want to just think that the price that you want to get is the price that you should get. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And it doesn't work in any market. If you go to the local store to buy something, um, and maybe a department store would be a better example, and you want to purchase an item that you've been either researching or you look at and, you know, let's face it, maybe it's an electronic item like a television or something like that. You will make that purchase at the right price in most cases. But again, value has to be there as well. So oftentimes one of the questions we get is, why do you guys generally charge 6%? Well, we'll talk about that in another podcast because there are some very, very, very distinct differences between companies. Um, but I want to say that for another podcast. The bottom line is I can't, as a real estate agent, it doesn't matter how well I market, and I do a really good job marketing, and I know my agents do, but if I can't attract the right buyers because we're too high priced, there is nothing I can do to force a buyer to overpay for a home. Remember, I always say the same thing, that the right buyer at the right time at the right price will purchase any property, in this case, let's say yours. So. If the pricing is way off on the home and you're not getting the showings that you want, unfortunately, it's time to move and it's time to move quickly. But the problem is, then in many cases, the damage was already done. Uh, I'm often amazed that people don't have more conversations with 
a potential realtor long before they enter into a contract. And I'm also amazed at people that don't look into how the realtor works. In other words, what do the photos look on other listings that that person has listed? What, um, what recent successes have they had either in the area or in general? Those are things that, that, you know, that people don't talk about. Um, so internet marketing. If you haven't had a conversation about your agent about how they're marketing the property, even though maybe you probably should have had those conversations before you listed, now would be the time to call your agent and ask very specifically, what are you doing to market my property online? Now remember, you get what you pay for. And in many cases, people pay the lowest amount of commission possible, hoping they get the right price. And I think sometimes that's a recipe for disaster. I'm not saying that you have to pay 7% to get the best marketing, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, a flat fee is probably not going to get it done in many cases. Could you get the offer that you want? Yeah. But could you be leaving money on the table? Absolutely. Regardless of the property, regardless of the agent, there are a ton of things that a good listing agent can do to market the property online. If you're not on Facebook, if you're not promoting the property on Instagram, and by the way, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of Facebook groups that people will subscribe to hoping to find that property. If, if you didn't talk about whether or not your property is in a delayed status and you're trying to, to amp up or hype the listings behind the scenes, those are conversations that, again, probably should have been happening before. But I think one thing that I hear more than anything is people will look at the photos of their listing. And let's be honest, we all know that your home is on display on the internet 24-7, 365 or 366 every four years. And what happens is people don't take the time to look at the photos that the agent takes that they're considering hiring. And so it's, it's not um, an unusual question, and it's certainly not um, you know, a question that, that is never asked, but people ask me, can I see an example of the photos that you take? Are they professional? Are you taking them yourself with a good professional camera, good professional um, editing software, which is what I use, or are you marketing that to somebody, or, or are you um, essentially asking somebody else to do that for you and paying them to do it? I'm a firm believer that we let professionals do what professionals do best. And yes, it might cost you a little bit more money, but by far, your photos are the number one thing. Unfortunately, good photography goes hand in hand with your online marketing. Remember that those first impressions are everything, right? The photography that you put out there is the first impression that somebody gets when they find your home online. We do also text marketing. So on your sign, you will have a text for more information placard, if you will, up above. And a, and a, and a potential buyer as they're driving by can, can enter a code. They can text it to a number that we've established and uh, they'll get the information on the property instantly. Well, what that does for us is behind the scenes, it also allows us to get their contact information. Now that might seem a little creepy, but let's be honest, when it's all said and done, it's our job to sell your property for the most money, best terms, best value. And if we can capture some of the buyers before they're working with other realtors, it just makes sense for, to do it, for us to do it. A good agent will either hire somebody to do their professional photography, or they will invest in themselves to get this done. We do photography classes within our firm, and 
we always encourage that agents make the decision to pay for a professional to come in. And obviously, if you're going to do 3D mapping or 3D photography in a listing, you know, that, that's something that you probably outsource. We do anyway, because let's face it, I'm going to be an expert in what I'm good at, and that's marketing your home and negotiating the best possible offer for you. Another one, and uh, I'm looking at a list, by the way, I get to give some credit. To, it's an online site. It's another Remax, uh, Remax Executive Realty. And they took the time to put some uh, nine, uh, a list together of nine reasons why you know you picked a bad real estate agent to sell your house. And one of them is that the agent insists on being at every showing. Now let's talk just a second about showing, uh, or showing a property. If I'm the buyer's agent, I don't want the listing agent there. If I have questions, I can call them, I can text them, but that's my time with my buyer at that property. Sometimes sellers will insist that the agent be at every showing, and I think if you know if you're if you're selling a, a luxury home, let's say at about a million dollars or so, sometimes agents feel like they have to be there for every showing. But I'll be honest with you, folks, that's a big turnoff. I don't want that listing agent there, even if they're just hanging out in the kitchen. It's a very weird, uncomfortable thing for buyers, and, and they just don't want it. They don't want them there. Um, most agents understand that I, you know, I can't talk somebody into buying a home. Now, it's nice you know, that I'm there for questions, but those are usually things that can be answered um, uh, either through text or a voice call, right? How, let's talk about the number one complaint that we get from people when they expire a listing or they go to someone else is, is communication. You can always spot a bad real estate agent by their lack of communication skills Sometimes when you leave a voice message for them and they don't respond for several days or, um, you know, the, the, the bottom line is it's my job to keep my people in the loop. I try to make contact with every one of my sellers every Monday at the latest. But, you know, again, with some listings and with some, some sellers, they, 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 they don't want to talk to me every week. And that's fine. I respect that. But it's my job to make sure that we create some communication guidelines that work for all of us. So the number one thing is, if you think you have a not so great agent, start by, start by communicating with them. Ask them these tough questions, okay? Make sure that they're centering their marketing efforts around you and your listing, not around what they want as far as input. So let's talk a little bit about open houses. I'll be the first to tell you that yes, there are times when you will sell a property at an open house, but it is extremely rare. And the bottom line is open houses do benefit agents more than sellers. Now that may seem a little bit crazy, but let's think about it. Who comes to your house if you are going to an open house? Well, legitimate buyers, but they're a little bit few and far between. Oftentimes, the neighbors, they'll come and see how you live and what, you know, how the, how the home compares to the photos. And they may say things like, oh I've, oh, I've always wondered what their house looks like. Let's go check it out because the agent is there. So always, always at an open house, we will get what we call the nosy neighbors. And that's fine. Oftentimes it does turn into business for us, so we don't necessarily mind. But let's also be honest that when you open up your house to people at an open house, I can't as the listing agent control who's getting inside the house. Now, we're going to talk about safety measures and procedures and things to think about in a different podcast, but let me plant this one uh, seed here now. 
if I have two people that I don't know, and I'm a former police officer, and so for me, I take a little bit more of a skeptical approach when it comes to opening houses. And that may sound bad, but I'm a realist and I know how people work. And there are people who mean harm and they mean bad when they come into your house. So they may, yes, come into your house and leave doors slightly ajar. They may unlock windows. Um, keep in mind, I'm only one person and I can't watch two buyers whether they're bad people or not, I can't watch two buyers if one goes downstairs and one goes upstairs simultaneously, right? So again, you know, it's my job to, to make sure the house is secure when I leave, but I know that doesn't always happen, unfortunately. So the best real estate agents don't necessarily put their clients' homes at risk by letting anybody in the door with a pulse. We make sure that we have people that sign in, and quite honestly, if people refuse to give their names, they're not allowed into the house. That's my personal policy. It's something I discuss with my sellers. But, you know, I think the seller has a right to know who comes in their home. Now, let's be honest. Unfortunately, people can lie, right? So there is a trend developing, and I'm not saying we've adopted this, but I certainly see its, its legitimacy. But there is a trend developing that when you walk into an open house, you also have identification with you. Um, that, that, that is a little bit of a conflict, but let's be honest, probably 90 plus percent, and this is just a number off the top of my head, about 90% of the, the, the good, solid, legitimate buyers out there, they're already working with a, a buyer's agent and they've already established, you know, a true legitimate needs analysis with that, with that buyer's agent. So... I know this is a topic as well, but if that agent just gets to the point where they are not doing the work that you expect them to do, try contacting their broker, try contacting the manager or even a team leader. Uh, more and more teams are popping up in America in real estate firms. And quite honestly, probably a lot of them maybe shouldn't be creating a team but a good solid team has very defined roles. There's always a team leader who acts as the liaison, if you will, between the brokerage and the team members. And yes, oftentimes they are licensed as brokers as well. In the state of Wisconsin, you don't have to be a broker to be a team leader, but it does help. Um, and you know, in my firm, if, if there's a team leader, that's the first person that I go to rather than the, in, the individual agent. I start off with them. It's almost like a respected chain of command. But you got to have a conversation with somebody and you have to express your concerns. If you're not expressing your concerns, let's be honest, when conflict develops, it's because expectations were different. And the expectation that you had as a buyer or seller, and let's you know, we're probably in most cases talking about sellers. Um, but if, in fact, you had a legitimate concern and you didn't bring it up, you're only harming yourself and you're only hurting your own cause, right? So don't, don't, don't swallow that. That's something that you need to bring up. And if you started with the realtor and you're not getting anywhere, um, an attorney once told me, John, you don't have to have, if you're a buyer or seller, you don't have to have permission to break a contract. We are in a service-related state. And yes, there may be damages if you break a contract, but if you can't come to a resolution and you can't forge a legitimate and a good path moving forward, uh, 
then maybe it's time to sever that relationship. And in Wisconsin, you only have to do that in writing. You don't have to give a reason why. Of course, you're going to get that agent's attention if you say that you want to immediately sever your listing contract with that agent. Remember, time is of the essence. And I'm not encouraging you to go down that road unless you absolutely have to. It's uncomfortable. It's not uh, a pleasant experience, and the transition sometimes goes very poorly. A professional realtor will address your concerns long before you get to the point of actually severing a listing contract. Now, I have to tell you, because I can't give you legal advice, if you are considering um, severing a listing contract, there are potential consequences to that that you should be aware of. So you really need to read the paperwork properly. Every agent has to subscribe to the Code of Ethics and Standards of Practice if they are a member of the National Association of Realtors and subsequently in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Realtors Association and subsequently in southeastern Wisconsin, a member of the, the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors. Now, I sit on the Ethics Committee for GMAR, as we call it, and I can tell you that a lot of our ethical concerns that come from clients usually stem from a lack of communication. Again, expectations were not clearly laid out. You know, and, and when I meet with clients, one of the things that I go over almost painstakingly is kind of my communication guidelines. And I don't really like to call them rules. But I tell my clients, look, if you're going to call me at 7 o'clock in the morning, there's a very good chance that I'm not going to pick up the phone. There's also a good chance throughout the day that my phone may go to voicemail because I'm in a lot of meetings throughout the day. And if I'm out there trying to find buyers for your house and do the best I can marketing-wise, I can't disrespect the person that I'm meeting with by interrupting a meeting with a phone call. Legitimate buyers will leave messages. Uh, it happens all the time, and we get back to them as soon as we can. In a hot market, um, you know, things, things move fast, right? And so there's a way we set those up. And if those conversations weren't had before, well, maybe it's time to, to have those now. Back to my guidelines, though. You know, if somebody calls me at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'll be honest with you, I don't really care. You can call me anytime you want. You know, I've, I've worked with plenty of, especially public safety professionals like police and fire um, over the years, and they work shifts, uh, just like people in emergency rooms and, and, and whatnot do. So they can call me anytime they want. I just uh, probably won't answer your call at 2 in the morning. But I also tell people that there are times when, yes, we are going to talk at 11.15 at night, not because we necessarily want to both stay up, but if we have a midnight deadline and we've got a lot of things happening, especially with multiple offers, there's, we may have to have some, some, some pretty late conversations. And that's when you expect your realtor to be there. Um, you know, we work in a 24-7 world, and so having conversations on a Saturday afternoon is just part of what we do, right? So if you're ever curious about what the, the code of ethics are for us, you know, I think one of the things that you need to, to also figure out is, you know, does, is my agent a member of the WRA, the NAR, and GMAR? Um, and there's plenty of other associations across the state of Wisconsin. And if they're members of, if the, if the agents are members of those boards, as we call them, they have an obligation to do things by the book. And if they don't do things by the book, they can get disciplined, they can get suspended, they can be expelled and fined. Um, giving out lockbox codes as an example. 
If your agent says to you, I'll meet you there, go ahead, go get a head start and look at that property. The lockbox code on the front door is, is one, two, three, four, then you know you're dealing with somebody that's unethical because that's the biggest violation out there. And that puts everybody uh, and their safety at risk. So I, I think as we kind of wrap up this, this podcast, if you're dealing with an agent that isn't the greatest, it's not too late. And I would suggest that you look at your own scenario with a little more immediacy and not just settle for what is mediocre service for the next two or three months. I have very frank conversations with my sellers. Um, Let's be honest, when a property doesn't sell immediately and now you're looking at a market of a month or two or three or four, Sellers look around them and they say, geez, why, I don't, John, I don't understand why my property's not selling. Three down the road have sold uh, within the last couple months. Well, almost always it goes back to price. We talked about that a little bit earlier and we'll continue to talk about price um, and the importance of not overpricing your home at the beginning. One of the worst scenarios that you could ever create for yourself is pricing a home too high at the beginning. Unfortunately, I know sellers will say, well, yeah, but we just lower the price, you know, in a couple of weeks if it doesn't sell. That is an absolutely terrible approach, and so many people do it. I leave that option up to my clients, but I'll be honest with you, if they want to price a home that's way too overpriced, it's just not a win-win situation. I'm going to lose, they're going to lose in the end, and all I'm about is creating win-win relationships. Remember, I don't get paid unless something sells. I don't get paid for all the time and effort and the guidance and the prep work and the marketing because let's face it, my commodity is time. And unfortunately for me, I can't create more of it when I need it. I just have to deal with what we do. And so even in my firm, I talk about you know, almost this fallacy that time management is what we manage. We don't, we can't manage time. Time is what it is. What we can manage is activities. And so I want to lay out all of the expectations up front to my listeners, to my sellers. Here's our timeline. Here's what's coming next. Here's what we're going to do after that. And here's my communication guidelines for you. We're going to make sure that we're talking every couple weeks, every month. If my seller says, John, no need to call me. It's a lot. There's not too much going on in a lot purchase. When you get some activity, let me know that it's happening. Well, then we've had that conversation. So... Again, if you're going to look at the possibility of severing that listing contract, just be aware that you could get penalized damages and you'd have to refer to your listing contract on what those means. Unfortunately, this is my opinion, I don't think that agents can necessarily come back to you and say, well, I I spent five hours on the preparation for your property and therefore I, you know, Collectively, let's say, or on average, I, I make $200 an hour, so you owe me $1,000. Real hard costs, the sign, marketing, things that you paid for, those are all legitimate things that they could pass on to you. But will you continue to work with a realtor who's doing nothing for you when it matters most, which will cost you thousands in the end, or should you maybe work something out with that agent and move on to somebody who's a little bit better? I'm John Gescheidmeyer, and I hope that that helps if you find yourself in a situation where your agent isn't as great as you thought they were. This session of Wisconsin Real Estate Today has come to a close. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let others know if you found this content useful. Until next time, make today your best day.